Welcome back to The Voice of Hope. Today I wanted to share an interview with you from The Voice of Hope show. And this interview is with Jenny Chenault. And Jenny suffers with Chiari malformation, the condition that I suffer with. And Jenny is going to share her journey with Chiari malformation. And I hope as you listen to this that you would be inspired that no matter what you're going through, that nothing is impossible with God on your side. So as you listen to this, be encouraged. I'm still here. Um, I do not have tapes in my ears now because the doctor said when I was 11 years old, they had fallen out. Um, when I was younger, I always had a bad dream and woke up like, um, scared. I would scream and yell very loud. I woke up feeling extremely hot and... Um, I would feel the floaty feeling that I feel with my Chiari symptoms, but only for a second, when I only had a bad dream. You um, that as a child. Then okay. in 2000, yeah, then in 2009, I was not eating at all. Every time I had eaten, my stomach hurt really bad. I would scream because of the pain. Finally, I went back to the doctor and I took a list of foods that um, made my stomach hurt and that didn't make my stomach hurt. The foods that didn't make my stomach hurt was spicy, fatty, and greasy foods, but the foods that I could eat was sweet foods. And found out that I needed to have a HIDA scan test done because I lost 10 pounds in a week, 30 pounds in two weeks, two months. And I did a HIDA scan test and the HIDA scan test said I needed to have my gallbladder removed because I, it was malfunctioning. Um, it wasn't squeezing correctly like a normal gallbladder is supposed to do. It only squeezed slightly, and when it did, I yelled the loudest scream ever that people outside of the building heard me scream. Oh, and wow. then in 2010, I w- in 2010, I was standing in the line at Hancock's I'm waiting to cash out my items that I've gotten. And all of a sudden, my upper body started shaking really fast. And I couldn't feel my pulse at all. And um, my mom thought I was nervous about going back to high school because I was on summer break. And it wasn't that I... My mom took me to the doctor's office, and the doctor's office tried to get my pulse to read and um, blood pressure to read, and it wasn't reading at all. And they did an EKG test, and it was abnormal. It wasn't normal. 
So they told my mom to take me straight to the hospital and not stop. And my mom told them that she felt like she was on a Monopoly board because we didn't know what was going on. So I went to the And they knew I was coming, and I got to the hospital, and um, they finally got my pulse to read, and it said that it was 280, and that was very high. So they um, put some medicine into an IV called Adidasin, and... Um, it made my heart reset itself to um, go back to normal rhythm because mine was 280 and that was too high. So they didn't know what was happened. They didn't know what happened. So they transferred me by ambulance to the heart hospital where they found out that I have SVT, supraventricular technocardia, which means a rapid pulse rate. So they put me on a um, blood pressure medicine that helped my pulse to stay down. But I had to stop taking it whenever I got home because it made my blood pressure drop to 70 over 45. And we called the heart doctor and they said to stop the medicine. So I quit taking that medicine, and um, I had to have seven times of episodes happen of SVT episodes, yeah. and um, I could have died seven times because my heart rate went up to, like, the 200s, and that was very dangerous. Yeah. And anyways... Um, I got, they finally found a medicine that helped in 2012 called Didoxin. And um, they had to add metoprolol to it because it, the other one was toxic if it was taken by itself. It was too toxic to be too toxic in my body. But in 2014, I had another SVT episode where my pulse went up, and um, and I took a, a the didoxin medicine, and it helped it go down and stop the episode. But in 2015, that medicine quit working, so I had to start taking metoprolol twice a day to help keep my pulse down and I was taking 100 milligrams total at the end of the day 50 in the morning and 50 at night and at the same time um I didn't actually learn how to swallow pills until I was 24 years old because I would have trouble swallowing them. So I had to learn how to swallow pills with the oil flow cup because 
the heart medicine changed from a regular release to an extended release, and I couldn't just chew it up. It would harm me if I did. So um, in 2015, I, I gained up to 157 pounds, and I wasn't able to lose the weight. high and um I end up having been diagnosed with hypothyroidism and I had to take levothyroxine generic for levothyroid um and um And I was losing weight um, um, from 157 because I wasn't feeling comfortable. But now it starts where my Chiari symptoms were happening. And at the end of 2016, whenever after I got married to my husband, Joel, my blood pressure started dropping. I finally got to the weight of 140 pounds. The doctor told me that the heart medicine was too much milligrams, so they had to lower it from 50 milligram twice a day to 25 milligram twice a day. And it was a very quick drop of milligrams of my medicine. And my heart rate did not like it at all. So we had to switch it back. But then in 2017, my blood pressure still kept dropping at the beginning of 2017. Finally, the doctor learned and researched that they could compound my heart medicine to 40 milligrams. And then we slowly went down to... 25 milligrams twice a day. So finally I got to be able to take the 25 milligrams of metoprolol twice a day and my heart rate was fine and it got used to it. And I've been taking it that way ever since, which helped my blood pressure to stay up and not drop. At the middle of 2017, my blood sugar started dropping, even though I was eating correctly and I wasn't skipping any meals. My blood sugar would drop even after I ate something. The doctor diagnosed me with hypoglycemia, low blood sugar. The first time my blood sugar dropped in the middle of 2017, I was woken up from a nap and I felt dizzy, I felt confused, and I felt all of the low blood sugar symptoms. I took my blood sugar on my mom's sugar diabetes tester because I didn't have my I didn't have my own yet. And my blood sugar was forty two and that was very low. I had to eat something to help it go back up and um Around this time is when my symptoms of dizziness and floating began. The doctor thought I was dizzy and floating because of having low blood sugar, but 
that was not the case. The the OSCA my old doctor thought it was anxiety causing me to feel dizziness and floating. They also thought it was my ears, so they checked my ears. They cleaned out my ears, and for two months, I did not feel dizzy or I didn't feel floaty, and that went away. However, my SVT heart problem was going crazy, and my doctor did not know why, and I was having anxiety, and um, the doctor kept saying everything was wrong with me was because it was from anxiety, and my SVT was from anxiety, even though I knew something was wrong that was helping, that wasn't doing it right. So the do my old doctor put me on Zoloft, and I only took it two days. It caused me to have heavy legs, and it did not help. It was causing my um, pulse to go up really high. I did not feel okay taking it, so I had to stop taking it. A week later, the symptoms of my floatiness and dizziness started happening again. I asked the old doctor if we could do an MRI of my head. The doctor who I had at the time in 2017 told me, no, you don't need an MRI. The doctor said it was all in my head and it was from anxiety. However, I knew that feeling dizzy and floating was not normal and I needed to do something. I literally thought I was going crazy and I didn't know what I was talking about. I really thought I was going crazy. The doctor who I had at the time made me feel this way. Not making the situation better, the doctor screamed in my face and told me that I was fine. It made me so mad that I couldn't take it anymore. So I told my mom and my husband that we needed to change doctors. So in December of 2017, when my symptoms were going very bad and crazy, I went on a search for a new doctor. I found a new doctor, and I'm so glad I did. The, the new doctor could not see me until February of 2018. Whenever I had told my husband and my mom and everyone what the old doctor did, they were upset. My grandma was upset. Everyone that knew knows me was upset. They knew that my heart doctor told me to not be stressed or be around a situation that would cause my heart rate to go up. The one thing that made me very upset was when the old doctor seen my heart rate at 111 and had screamed in my face. It was very hard wanting to, waiting to see the new doctor and seal going to see the old doctor. I had to think positive thoughts 
and it helped me to keep my pulse down. In February of 2018, I went to the doctor who I see now. It was the best thing that I have ever done. The doctor had me to explain all the things that happened to me, like my heart problem, low blood sugar, dizziness, floating, and my thyroid. To better understand how to help me, it was hard for me to explain things because the dizziness and the floating um, was getting worse. The doctor, the nurses, and everyone could tell that I was not the normal Jenny like I used to be. The doctor said, we are going to figure this out. So first, they wanted to keep track of my blood sugars, what I ate, my blood pressure, and my heart rate to see if something there was causing me to feel dizzy and floating. They knew it was very hard for me to explain things, and it was very hard. After they looked at what I had journaled down, they said all of that was normal and was fine. However, the doctor still was concerned why I was feeling dizzy and floating. So the doctor had me to wear a heart monitor for two days. When they got the results back, um, it showed that I had SVT and extra beats, and we already knew that. So whenever I went to my heart doctor for a yearly um, follow-up um, to see if they had anything that may help, they said that two days was not enough reading, so they had me to wear a two-week heart monitor. In the two weeks, it picked up SVT again and extra beats, and they already knew that. So my primary care doctor, who I still see now, was very positive. I said the old doctor torn this idea down, and the doctor said, who I see now, they said, I won't do that to you. We're going to find an answer. So I said, okay, could we do an MRI? The doctor said, yes, we can. I said, the reason why is because maybe the Zoloft that I took in 2017 caused something to happen in my brain or in my head. So I got to do the MRI of my head in April of 2018. It took two months to get the MRI results back because they wanted to double check and make sure that they seen what they had seen was correct. So in June, I got a phone call from the primary care doctor's office saying that the MRI results were difficult for them to read. So they sent it off to a neurologist. I thought I was going to see a neurologist, but little did I know I was going to see a different doctor. I went to see the neurologist who I thought I was seeing in the middle of June, like the week of the 23rd, something like that. When I got to where we were going, 
I noticed after I checked in that we were at a neurosurgeon neurology's office. And I was like, that's weird. I just had an MRI in my head, and these specialists are neurosurgeons. That scared me very bad. I was so scared and frightened. I'm so glad my mom, my dad, Kevin, and my husband was there with me. I got to see the neurosurgeon, the neurologist, and they looked at the MRI results and said, I have a condition called Chiari malformation. I was like, what is that? The neurosurgeon explained it to me, and I was so scared when they said, in order to help the symptoms not get worse, and for me to still maintain my functions, I would need to have surgery. When they said surgery, I literally freaked out. I literally was scared. I had a lot of thoughts going through my mind, and it was devastating to me. I said, I take this in and wait before I say yes to surgery because I want to be able to think about this. They said I could. So I thought about it and it took me to July 3rd to figure it out what I wanted to do. My grandma, my family, my friends were worried about me. My grandma told me that her and my aunt said, I needed to have this surgery because um, um, hang on, information is and what surgery it is called. I learned about what it was and how surgery was going to go. My grandma and aunt was scared for me and everyone was too and motor functions i was like i'm a full-time college student i teach children about god at my church and i don't want to don't want that to happen to me neither did no one else my grandma told me that her and my aunt told me that they did not want the same thing that happened to my cousin where she can't take care of herself and she is in a nursing home. They did not want that to happen to me and neither did I. So I called the neurosurgeon office back and said, let's do this. I want to feel better. I did this after I talked to my counselor and my primary care doctor again. They all knew I was scared, but I knew I did not want to feel this way anymore. So I made a decision to have the Arnold Chiari decompression surgery done. I knew about the risk and complications that could have happened during surgery or after, but I was willing to take those chances. I did not want to lose no motor functions or cognitive functions. I did not want to be like a potato laying down on a bed and not be able to do anything by myself. 
So between the time of July 7th to July 12th, I was in the process of getting ready for surgery. The scariest surgery and thing that I ever had to do that had to do with my brain because we only get one brain and not no more. So I did more tests so they could make sure and double check a third time. I had another MRI, but this time it was a full MRI of my spine, blood test and a CT scan of my whole spine. The neurosurgeon got the results back and confirmed it and said, yes, I will need to have surgery because my cell spinal fluid was not circulating through my brain and my brain was dry and the cerebral spinal fluid was sitting in my spine causing a synrex to form. So I had surgery on July the 13th, which some people thought it was weird because it was July the 13th on a Friday. Everyone prayed for me because they knew how scared I was. I believed in all the doctors, neurosurgeon, nurses, everyone with the surgery, heart doctor, and God that I would be okay. God had shown me signs before my surgery, and I knew I was going to be okay through the surgery. And I got that stuffed animal out. Those were, those were the two signs that I knew I was going to be okay and going to get through that surgery that I was so scared about. Surgery was July the 13th. I survived brain surgery on July 13th, and it took four hours, but to me, it felt like only a second. I remember waking up in the recovery room, then I was rolled on the bed to the ICU room. I was in the ICU room Friday night until Saturday night. Saturday night, they had tried to get me off the bed, and it was very difficult and very scary. My head felt heavy. Then they put me in a regular room Saturday night, and I was in that hospital regular room until the next Monday. Monday afternoon, they told me since I was not going to the bathroom or walk in without the walker by myself, I would need to go to rehab. I was at the rehab from July 16th to July 27th. During that time, I had to relearn how to walk. I had to relearn how to eat. I had to do tests to see if my brain function functions were functioning properly to be able to go back to college. I had to do physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy. Physical therapy helped me um, walk with a walker and then with a cane and then by myself. Occupational therapy helped me learn how to bathe by myself, do my business by myself, learn how to do the dishes again with standing and not sitting, learning how to change my clothes and put my clothes back on, 
speech therapy helped me to see if my memory changed or if it was the same. It helped me to be able to swallow better, but I could swallow by myself. I did not have to learn that again. I could not eat with metal silverware. I had to use plastic silverware because it made my mouth swollen. I had staples in the back of my head, but before I left the rehab, they had removed those. It was very uncomfortable having staples in my head. I stopped the pain medicine at the hospital because it was causing me to be extremely hot where I needed to have a fan, and I still have that fan. So whenever I had pain in rehab, I just had to take two doses of Tylenol, one in the morning and one at night, and that helped the pain. I could not handle loud noises, and my ears are very sensitive, which I still can't um, handle loud noises. Um, before my surgery, I had trouble hearing, and I had to turn things up very loud. When I got back home on July the 27th, 2018, I was still using a walker, but I started physical therapy and home health nurse at home. That was a go to, um, I wanted to get off the walker and walk with the cane and then walk by myself without any help. That was a go that the physical therapist had made while work while working with me at home. I walked down the stairs with a cane and walked outside with a cane. The occupational therapist came, but I did not need their help because I did all of that stuff by myself. I got the physiotherapy done and went back to the neurosurgeon two months after my surgery and they told me I could move my head, but not pick over 25 pounds. But I do not pick up that much things over 10 pounds now. However, the neurosurgeon told me that the surgery was a success, but I knew it was not a cure. But I know I feel better than I did before. I can tell a difference. The dizziness and floatiness is better before my surgery, the dizziness and the floatiness happened all the time, every every day, and when I was asleep. Now it just happens every once in a while. After I had physiotherapy finished, I could move my head, and now I can move my head better than I did. I had to start more physiotherapy at the end of last year of 2018 because I wanted to get to move my head better where I could start driving again. Because when my symptoms started happening, that was my goal of to get my driver's license, but I couldn't because I had to um, stop because my mom didn't want me to drive and feel dizzy and floaty and be in a car wreck, and that wouldn't be good. So I couldn't finish that go. So my goal right now is to someday finish that go.
However, I did not finish the physical therapy at the end of last year because I had gotten sick for two months. But I have still been doing exercises and that has been helping me. I think I can move, I know I can move my head better now than I did. Couple months after my surgery, I went to the primary care doctor and they told me that I sounded much better and I looked like I was better too. The nurse told me that before my surgery, I had trouble talking to them and they had trouble understanding me because I had trouble explaining what was happening to me. Now I can explain what happened to me easier now. So to come to a conclusion with this, I am doing better. My Kiori symptoms of floatiness and and dizzy is doing better. It only happens when I hear loud noises, when I have a bad dream, when I get nervous, or when I get scared, or if I overdone it. I'm very blessed that I had changed doctors when I did in 2017. And to go see the awesome, amazing doctor that I see now. I'm very blessed and thankful to be alive. I'm not sure what would have happened to me if I did not change doctors in 2017 and went to see the doc- the new doctor who I see now in 2018, I don't think I would be alive today and be talking right now in front of you all sharing my story. God help me to survive, God help me to survive this brain surgery because he knew my life was not over yet. And I still have plenty of dreams and goals to accomplish. Like graduating with my master's degree of psychology, maintaining wellness, be able to get my license, be able to drive again. God told me my journey is not over yet, but I still have more journeys to come. I could not have done it without you all. I thank you all very much for helping me to get through this. It has been difficult, but it was sure well worth it. To be alive today, starting back to college in September, two months after my surgery in 2018, was the was awesome. Guess what? I have accomplished a lot so far. I only have six weeks and four days of college left to do, and I will be graduate. I will be graduate masters of psychology from college. I'm making my goals happen and dreams happen. I'm not letting my condition stop me, but it is just making me that much stronger every single day. It may be tough, but I am still kicking. Hang on. I'm still kicking like how my mom and grandma tells me. I want to thank everyone. God, my doctors, nurses, 
friends, family, and friends, um, my school friends, my college friends, my Chiari brothers and sisters, my SVT friends, my blood sugar family and friends, my church family and friends, and everyone that knows me. Thank you all so much. I could not have done it without you all. You all are the best. Thank you so much. Most importantly, I want to thank my grandma and my aunt because without them telling me that I needed to have surgery so I could do things by myself, without them telling me that I would not have chosen the surgery. At first, when I heard the word surgery, I was like, I'm not doing this. But they encouraged me to. So I'm very blessed I did that, and I'm alive today to share my story, to spread the awareness so someday there will be a cure for us all. Because no one should have to feel this way or have this condition. We are all survivors and warriors. No matter if someone has this condition, condition like ours, they all are still fighting through in their life. And, and they are warriors and survivors too. Thank you for allowing me to share my story. Most importantly, thank God for letting me survive brain surgery so I can share my story to everyone. To conclude, thank you, thank you all for not giving up on me. And, and I'm so thankful that I did not give up on myself either. Because whenever my old doctor in 2017 was my doctor, before I got the new doctor who figured it out and figured the answer out, I thought I was going crazy and I was going nuts and everything. But now that I know I wasn't and I was going through something, I don't feel that way. I continue to search for an answer until I found it. And I'm going to live. And I'm very blessed. So thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you so much. Uh, so honored that you come on and share that story. Great job. Uh, you brought me to tears because this is what the reason I started the Voice of Hope because so many of us with this condition, they do make us feel like we're insane. <laughs> like Jenny said, she went so many years, and you have to start to be your own advocate because it is in your head. <laughs> It's our brain that's falling out of our head, and um, they they don't want to listen. And um, sometimes we just have to do what Jenny did and just go and find another doctor, you know, and not give up. Uh, you know when something's wrong with your body, 
And, you know, Jenny just had the surgery only nine months ago. And the fact that she told me she started school two months later after she had the uh, surgery. She started the school in September back to college. And uh, she had no spinal fluid circulating around her brain. So all of these symptoms that she was having previous uh, with her heart, thyroid, a lot of these conditions people with Chiari have uh, leading up to being discovered that you have Chiari malformation. Uh, because I had a lot of issues. Thank you, everybody. Yes, and I want to welcome you guys all in. If you join late, uh, uh, Michelle, welcome. Uh, Sherry, Amy, Joy, thank you guys all for sharing. Uh, I know we started out a little late. Thank you guys for hanging in there with us. Uh, Catherine, Dory, everyone that joined in late, thank you for sticking with us. Because uh, this is so important that we get this awareness out there that somebody who may not be diagnosed, that they will hear Jenny's story mm -hmm. and not give up on that search, that quest of finding somebody that can help them. And like Jenny said, this isn't a cure, but when you have this decompression surgery, it actually puts the flow of the spinal fluid back inside your brain. And when your brain has been deprived of not having any spinal fluid around it, that's how come she was having the hearing issues, the floating feelings, uh, her body was just going out of control because her brain tells your body what to do. And that's our computer, you know, and she I love you all too. What's that? I told everyone I love them all too because Kim said I love you. <laughs> oh, good. Thank you. Yes. Uh, thank you guys all for joining. And uh, it's such a blessing that you described it in such detail because uh, a lot of people, um, they would not know maybe a heart issue might be related to their brain. Uh, they would not have no clue because... And what's so, what is so awesome now is I have not had an SVT episode since 2014. Wow. The medicine's wow, working. Awesome. And also, if you can tell, I'm, you can see I'm wearing a hat. And before my uh -huh. surgery, this hat would be too small for my head. Wow. Well, the fact that she's wearing a hat, I can't wear, I can't wear hats because I still have sensitivity here in my head because I had the same surgery that Jenny had. And uh, that's amazing that she can wear that because a lot of people have a lot of sensitivity in their head even before surgery. But when I seen her on and she had that hat on, I was like, wow, and it's only been nine months. So that's pretty amazing. And uh, yeah. It is. It really is. And a lot of people don't realize that when we go through this surgery that, you know, they think that everything goes away and it, we, it improves our quality of life. We still have struggles, you know, on a daily basis. 
and um, you know it, it, it's really hard sometimes when people see you because they call this an invisible disease because you know we might not always show signs unless we're having the problems with walking or uh, cognitive issues you know of speaking and stuff like that uh, so it makes it difficult even for the doctors to think that there's something wrong with us and uh, so thank you Jenny for yeah. uh, explaining that the way you did uh, Sherry said what test shows that there is no fluid to the brain that would probably be the scenic flow the C-I-N-E it shows the flow to the brain it's an MRI it's called a SENI MRI, and uh, they do it just like a regular MRI, but when they go in, it will show if the fluid is circulating in the brain properly or not. I've had one of those also, and uh, that's what that is. So I'm imagining you had that done. That's how they detected that, correct, Judy? I just had an MRI, and um, they seen it in the MRI. Yeah, sometimes they can But they made sure it. they did more tests. Yeah, they probably did a CINI flow after the regular MRI, and uh, that's what usually detects uh, where the fluid stops and everything. Uh, you're welcome, Sherry. Yeah, that's something that I had no clue about either. And, uh, uh, you know, Kathleen, uh, Kathleen, I don't know, but there is some people that have Chiari that has uh, endometriosis, they have uh, gallbladder issues, um, they have heart issues. And, and they have POTS, too. Uh, yes, and they have uh, posterior orthostatic tachycardia uh, syndrome, which is where uh, your heart kind of uh, gets out of control with, uh, you know, laying down flat, raising up, movements, all different kind of things can affect the heart. Uh, dysautonomia, because it can affect the central nervous system and get the central nervous system all out of whack. Uh, because our brain affects everything, so it can just, it affects everything in the body. And uh, a lot of people don't, that's why the condition, a lot yeah. of people don't understand that it, it is the brain at that surgery that we had, but it was the cerebellum in the back of the brain that was being pressed where the hole and your skull starts, it plugs right there, the cerebellum falls down into there and it keeps the flow of the spinal fluid going up into the neck and around the brain like a normal person would be. And so that's what starts all these dysfunction because our brain says, hey, what's going on? And starts going crazy and our body doesn't know what to do. And that's why it's so hard for doctors to figure out what's going on because they start thinking, oh, it's the heart, oh, it's this, and oh, it's that, which it, it can be, but what, if they don't give us an MRI, then they never would able, be able to tell. Uh, oh, wow, Sherry, so you've had thyroid disease, gallbladder removed, and empty cell syndrome. Yes, that is a lot of issues people with Chiari have. Uh, 
talked to quite a few that's had a lot of those same issues. And uh, it's very important that you're your own advocate and just don't give up. And uh, like Jenny and uh, I, I think uh, we, you know, started to connect. I don't know if she connected beforehand, but I just started to connect with a lot of people that had PR. I've learned more in the past probably three years than I knew 13 years previous before I had my surgery. Did you start to learn more after your surgery, Jenny, from other Chiari patients too? Yeah, and I also learned about it before my surgery because it was very scary to me. Yeah, it's terrifying. I remember that thing. Because it, it helped, it helped. It helped me understand what they were going to do if I researched more about it, and I did. And it helped me not be as scared. Yeah, it is really important to do your research. And uh, when I had mine done 13 years ago, uh, there wasn't as much out there as there is now. Uh, the social media and all these groups weren't as big. And... Uh, but luckily, I had a good doctor, and uh, and it can also cause spinal instability. Uh, some people have, I had to have my neck totally reconstructed, and uh, some bones placed here in my neck uh, because I had so much instability because of my herniation. And it, so, it was um, it was making me not stand up straight, and I'm taller now. Yeah, you were telling me that, so you were kind of slumped over, right? Yeah. That's mm -hmm. So now you're able to uh, stand up straight and without so much pain and stuff like that? That's awesome. That's really yeah. awesome. And the fact that you're going to be graduating? But the, mo the main thing, yeah. The main thing is to not give up and not give up on yourself. Keep searching for an answer and you'll get there like I did. That's right. That's right. That's the most important thing because so many times we want to give up because we just think there's no use uh, of going on, you know, because no one can figure it out. Uh, yeah, sometimes that can happen. Sherry was saying that sometimes when you have one autoimmune disease, uh, another one will be sure to follow. That's why it's very important that we uh, start taking responsibility mm -hmm. for our wellness and start eating better, uh, start being careful, you know, uh, with having too much stress, uh, listening to the doctor, not overdoing it, and... Uh, stuff like that during your recovery and continuing, you know, on out through your life too. It's very important that uh, you try to, you know, follow these things because that also is a process of your wellness. And just like Jenny's did, you know, she's listened to the doctors and uh, she's did what she's supposed to do. And in three months, she'll be a year out. And through having her surgery, she's already going to be graduating through all of this college 
and that is just amazing. And uh, uh, Sherry said, Jenny, do you know what your herniation was? How many millimeters your herniation was? Did they tell you that? Uh, yes, they told me, but I forgotten. I seen it on the MRI results. Oh, okay, okay, that's okay. Yeah, I I don't remember what mine was either because my surgery was like thirteen years ago, so I don't remember what mine was. Uh, but sometimes I just know I just know it. It was kind of big, but after the surgery, it had shrunk. That's good, and a lot of people don't know this, uh, too. I didn't really know this, so I researched it more. Depending on the frame and the magnum of your skull, uh, the herniation mm-hmm. is not, not always as important because you could have a small herniation and be very symptomatic. Like, my herniation was small. And that's why it was hard for them to detect it on an MRI. But I was very symptomatic. I was having, I couldn't use my arms very well. Uh, Left-sided numbness down my body. My left eye would go in and out. Uh, I couldn't eat very well. I was having a lot of... My dad did that too. Yeah. And uh, they didn't understand at first because my herniation was so small. So... Uh, and then I've known people who's had a large herniation that's not symptomatic as much as I was. So it basically depends, you know, on the person if they're symptomatic or not. And that's why sometimes the doctor would do a watch and see to see how a patient does. And then like Jeannie, she had the spinal fluid actually blocked in her spine. So that had to be. Uh, started to flow properly again, and the only way to do that was with surgery. So that could also be an issue if the flow was not, you know, properly. So also, too, before we end tonight, Jenny, I know you uh, got a big announcement to make. Can you still hear me? You got a big announcement? Yeah, I can still hear you. You have a big announcement to yes. make. Uh, you uh, are involved now in. Uh, oh, oh. Yes, Sherry, I have the eye twitching thing. I'm in the JGF Foundation as a volunteer for on the United um, for KRA malformation page. And I've been sharing information about KRA malformation and also my story, too. Yeah, Jenny, she uh, um, has joined JGF Foundation, and they have a KRA malformation page that she's going to be uh, volunteering to add uh, educational information on there, uh, videos occasionally, and uh, she's going to be doing that. And uh, if you can go and like that page, then you'll be able to see more of that as it comes up. And uh, Jeannie also has shared that on her personal page. Uh, Jeannie? Yeah. Uh, it's on there, too, that you can go and see that she shared the Yari Mouth. And, recent, and recently, I um, 
Recently, I've learned how to do a podcast, and I'm, I created my own podcast, and I'm going to share my story there and share information of Kiari Malformation, too. That is so awesome, Janie. Did you get on the Anchor podcast? You got on the yes, I learned how to do it. Yes. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I'm so proud of you. I cannot believe this. Since we started talking, she has, uh, well, she's telling her story today. Uh, she's volunteering for JGF Foundation with the Kiari Malformation page. Uh, she started her podcast. And she's graduating school soon, college. Thank you, Joe. Uh, and yes, yeah. thank you, Joe. She she's doing awesome. And then also too, I wanted to mention something that I thought was very special. Janie at her church is going to be doing encouragement letters on Sunday, and I think that is so awesome that your church does yes. that. And she's going to be uh, writing encouragement. And letters if any you. Go ahead. Go ahead. If anyone that has watched the Facebook Live wants an encouragement letter, wants a get well letter, or anything like that, they can message me in a private message on my personal page and um, let me know if they want to, and um, I will mail them a letter. So I would like to thank you for joining us and listen to Jeannie Chenault's story of Kiari Malformation. I hope it has inspired you through her story that nothing is impossible and uh, just watching her endurance and never, ever giving up no matter what, no matter what you're going through, never give up. There's always hope. She made it through. So just wanted to add if no one has told you today you are so loved so do like jenny and i are doing and get out there today and spread some hope until next time bye bye